Welcome everyone to the final episode of the Access for Who podcast. It's Mulemo here and joined by Chow and we are at the final point of our kind of exploration into this question of digital restitution. We have over the past couple of episodes really tried to track a kind of exploration of the nature of the digital within the African context and in relation to African memory, African heritage, um, and the question of restitution. And we have spoken to a lot of really great people who are doing exciting work to try and work through some of these questions, um, including testing out strategies for uh, thinking through digital restitution at a practical level in terms of working with communities, but also in terms of thinking through questions of rights and ownership at all its different levels. And we've also done a bit of a whirlwind tour of kind of museum practice and museum collections and digitization of collections as well. And so today, as the kind of final session, we're looking forward, we're looking to the future and thinking about what might be the kind of infrastructures of our African data futures. And the, the idea is really to think through the forms and frameworks that are available to us to uh, move forward in this way. And in a sense, we've already covered some of these topics already in our conversations with Gola, with uh, Nima, some of the kind of imagining that's already happening by a lot of other practitioners, such as the Women's History Museum in Zambia. Uh, but today, we're to sort of buckle down and kind of try and think through how we might learn from all these different projects to create a framework that, that could really work for the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Malemo. It's so interesting because we have covered a lot, like a lot just hearing you speak. And I myself, despite being there through all the episodes, I'm like, wow, that is a lot of, of data and that's a lot of themes um, that we've covered. But it's been, it's been a really amazing journey. And as you've said, in this episode, we're looking at African data futures and the infrastructures that frame the work that we're doing now, but also that will continue to frame the work that we're producing. So we're generating all this data. We are, you know, digitizing, we're putting collections online. And at the same time, all these activities exist within certain frameworks, certain standards, and these frameworks, in, in essence, um, really determine how this data is used, as we saw in the copyright and, and in the legal uh, framework episode, that we are still working in, in, in systems that govern um, data production, knowledge production. And so this episode is not so much about museum practice um, specifically, but rather practices around data and data production as a whole. Uh, data is not created in a vacuum. You know, uh, when we talk about infrastructure, we're not just talking about server equipment. We are talking about people. We are talking about, you know, either artifacts. We're talking about the different ways in which all these components that come together to bring this data to life interact with each other. And for data to have meaning at the core of it, it has to be related to people in one way or another. 
uh, for you and I, Malemo, we we have <laughs> we have gone through very many variations of this. Uh, even as we are collecting data on on African restitution, in a way, um, still making sure, or we keep bringing ourselves back to the point of, well, but who is involved in restitution? Who are the parties who are engaging in this discussion? And mm-hmm. it really speaks to that kind of people slash make data intersection, you know? We start off with Angela Okune, who is a scholar and a researcher who specializes in data infrastructure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am in the final days of finishing up my PhD Um, I'm in the Department of Anthropology at the University of California, Irvine. So infrastructures, right, are kind of, I think a general understanding is the systems that kind of enable the circulation of whether it's goods or knowledge or meaning, people, power. You know, I think it really is the kind of basis of movement for all of these things. And here again, I'm drawing on kind of the social studies of science and technology to really think about infrastructure, not just as, you know, most people think of bridges. Most people think of these kind of big infrastructure projects that we're so used to. But I also add a layer of the social um, to understand infrastructure as, as something that requires the people in practice um, as well, right? So it's shaped by the the people as well as shaping people. So Angela speaks to this idea of adding a layer of social of the social to understand infrastructure and to better understand data. This reminds us of Nima Ayer's work. Uh, you remember her from episode one, and today she shares the practical ways in which. The connections between data and people, between people understanding and remembering and visualizing data are being implemented in Uganda. For us, I I thought it was very interesting to try to think and present data in a different way than, because if you just walked up to someone on the street and showed them um, some chart, you know, indicating, you know, something is going up, something is going down. I think a lot of people would struggle to really interpret what you're telling them. And for me, it was really important to make it accessible. That is really what guides all my work, is making information accessible. Because I understand how jargony tech can be. So if you went into a community and you started talking about algorithmic bias and surveillance and digital identity and encryption, like all these words, they're so big, they're so... Like, what does it actually mean? So one thing that I'm interested in researching right now is um, this concept. It's quite new to me as well. But it's a concept of data stewardship or data trusts or data collaboratives or data commons. So it's thinking about different ways in which we bring our data together and in which we benefit from that data. And I'm very curious of like thinking, what does that look like in the African continent? So for example, if there's several organizations working on digital restitution and everyone has some kind of data, then how would you pool all that different data in one place? How would you decide how you govern that data? How would you decide how you share it, how people can donate to it, how you can get profits from it? So I think it's an interesting concept and it's something that I'm very interested in, in looking at and trying to see like what are different African values that could also support this kind of a model, but also... I mean, even thinking about African values, like values are not set in stone, right? So it can also be like, how do we decide what our values will be? 
as well. So I think it's a very interesting space and something that needs a lot more thought and work and working with, with very different stakeholders to kind of imagine what that could look like. In a previous episode, we touched on this question of ownership of data as it relates to IP and um, particularly sort of discussed with Notando, these questions of uh, indigenous knowledge systems and cultural strategies for thinking through ideas of IP. And Nima brings a really interesting positionality to this when talking about data stewardship and kind of collective ownership of forms of data and a responsibility towards um, how that data is governed and shared, uh, which is really exciting to, to, to hear from her and I think really speaks to how we might start to use strategies from our own context as we kind of first intimated in the first episode to begin to think about other ways of dealing with digital restitution and digital data in relation to restitution in the first instance, but of course, I think, really points to to other contexts as well. I remember when we were talking about the kind of uh, ways in which the digital is magic, uh, in that it exists everywhere and nowhere at all. But this speaks really to what Nima is saying around ownership and a responsibility for caring towards data, really brings us uh, closer to an understanding of, of what it meant to have uh, indigenous knowledge systems, to transfer them into digital spaces, you know, and this is something, as you said, Malema Notando brings up uh, in the previous episode. And these questions around data ownership, data stewardship, are not just um, questions that we are talking about in an abstract form. In a museum setting, they apply uh, in various ways. Uh, where is the data being stored? Who owns it? You know, who owns the actual infrastructure of the data that we are saying, for example, is Kenya's heritage or South Africa's heritage or Namibia's heritage. At the end of the day, we own it conceptually, but it exists, you know, within someone's framework or certain servers or certain organizations. Uh, and with the entry of companies like Google and Amazon and Sayak into the cultural heritage space, it really brings up an interesting dilemma and discussion around uh, ownership from the perspective of who is the custodian of the data. So while we might all indulge and say this is um, Namibia's heritage online, who is actually taking care of it at the end of the day, you know? Uh, Angela speaks to this very brilliantly because this is a discussion that we have had with her in the past. Um, you know, I found in a news article that quoted the Kenyan president, Uhuru Kenyatta. This was in October 2020. And it quoted him as saying, if you let me quote it, we must look for a common vision in the dreams of our ancestors. We must seek out their wisdom and preserve their memory. We must bring them to life in a way that present generations can relate through technology. You can begin that journey by visiting the National Museums of Kenya page on the Google Arts and Culture platform to learn the stories of our folk and cultural heroes, relive their experiences, draw the inspiration you need from them in order to play your part in constructing and exemplifying our national ethos. And so I found this quote so striking because what does it mean when Kenyan youth are advised by their president to turn to Google for the dreams of their ancestors. 
And so it really has stuck with me that, you know, I have no problem at all with, with you know, Kenyans being advised to turn to, to their ancestors. Of course, it must be that way. But to then go through an intermediary that is Google, which is known to have extractive data at, for profit as part of its business model, it really just, um, you know, has, has left me... <laughs> Uh, at odds. It's important to reflect on the ways in which this isn't just a conceptual ownership of data. It's a, it's a physical one as well. Um, and we often don't really think about the physical nature of how data lives in the real world. Um, like where does it actually reside and what are the power dynamics that come from the physical manifestations of data? Temi Odomosu, who's an academic art historian who we've heard from uh, many times already in this podcast, as well as Mine Atairu, who's an artist really exploring a lot of these kinds of themes, reflect on this from a museum data and restitution data perspective, also thinking particularly about the African continent. We also have to think about, okay, so the digital is a space of potential, but of course, like, who, uh, like, like, who owns the servers? <laughs> like, there is an enclosure around the digital that is invisible, but it's there. And it's right back center in the set, the colonial framework. So unless we're going to sit and start thinking on a deep level about, you know, owning our own or <laughs> thinking about satellites and, 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 and server farms and where things are going in a different kind of way. Um, and even, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, activist talk about the potentialities of, uh, you know, Bitcoin and all of these um, crypto contexts. Well, yes, but in a way that's also mapping a, a neoliberal capitalist logic. Um, just offering different potentialities. So given that we know that we live within constraints and structures, within enclosures, whether they're big enclosures that we cannot feel the edges of or small enclosures, okay, how can we still think anew in those contexts? Um, I think this is where the creativity comes. And it's the creativity that you can think of in relation to how do diasporas thrive? out of a cultural context, leave, left a community, detached from language, uh, un, unable to have a fully formed sense of, um, you know, uh, an identity that's, that's rooted in one place but has a plurality of identities. Well, how have we historically thrived, right? And how can we create thriving spaces of potential within the context of what we know are kind of wider machinations of power, right? I mean, I do think that in relation to like, you know, digital restitution, as we've been talking about, there is a need to just engage with, you know, institutions or Western institutions, knowing that like the idea of digital colonialism is very real. And I like the term, it's it's something that one of my favorite artists coins, thinking about how 
Western institutions continue to like extract and monetize resources from African communities using digital technology. So how do we pay attention to that as we think about restitution? Even in our communities, how do we ensure that what we're doing internally is not reinforcing the idea of digital colonialism, that we're not giving off our data freely to institutions who just want to continue extracting and plowing and monetizing our resources? You know, throughout the series, we've really been asking questions. But in as much as we've been asking questions, I think the work that several practitioners, uh, not to mention the Women's History Museum of Zambia, and all the practitioners that we have spoken to are also giving us answers to the ways in which uh, some of these questions can be addressed practically. Uh, and at this point, we'll hear from other speakers, uh, from Angela, uh, from Temi and Andrea as well, around what are the kind of models of data stewardship, of um, custodianship that we could learn from, that we could borrow from in a bid to really make this uh, a holistic, but also a human-centered approach, an Africa-centered approach to digital data and data futures? Oh, boy. Easy question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely don't have the answer, but I do wonder if, if there might be something to learn from what's been going on around Indigenous data sovereignty, which is a movement that, you know, I've kind of followed from afar, but is especially strong in New Zealand and, and Australia and and also in various parts of the U.S. and Canada, um, where, where various Indigenous communities are thinking about, you know, pushing back against kind of objectified regimes, uh, regimes of objective data, you know, as an object um, without recognizing the kind of relations within which data is embedded. And so they have come up with various protocols. They have, I think, been working around how to keep the materials within community, um, what forms of engagement with the materials make sense. Because um, when you ask that, you know, when you gave the example, I just wonder, like, what does it mean to even get, you know, the, the information back on WhatsApp? Like, what is that experience like? And are there other forms uh, or genres of engagement that can be kind of, you know, established, framed, cultivated, set up, experimented around I don't know you know like uh, whether it's a art you know I feel like the Nest Collective has been doing some of this stuff in in the Kenyan context um whether it's you know a gallery of missing and I know you fight, folks have been involved in it as well so the gallery right of of missing um artifacts there's there's a beautiful exhibit um from 2016, I believe, around missing data, the concept of missing data and just an empty folder of what is missing, right? And so I, I don't know, I think there are various creative ways that people can tactile, like in a very material way, engage with this material that might not be getting it back on WhatsApp. So I would be really interested in diving in more about people's experiences around that and, and what forms they would want it in, you know. And I think it's different for different communities. I don't think there is a one a one size answer. You know, we need to start thinking about ways to uh, even limit digital access to the people for whom it's most appropriate 
or thinking about um, different forms of labels and licenses to communicate the appropriateness of the reuse on the front end. So there's um, been work in uh, by Kim Christian and uh, Jane Anderson around you know local contexts, and um, there's another uh, project that's called Enrich that's looking about data sovereignty. But these are asking these really important questions around how do we enable reuse according to the complexity of the material itself, rather than this idea of ownership and exclusivity and um, being able to commercialize. Because so often, you know, that's that's not the goal of, of trying to make these things available. It's more about how do we educate, how do we contextualize, how do we protect um, the person rather than the rights holder. And um, it's a really important question when we're thinking about, you know, the, the potential of computational processing and the digital divide. Because right now, all of that power is, um, is also held in places that have benefited from uh, wealth transfer, from colonization. And so those sorts of technologies and the availability of them are shaping that area as well and how we think about what's possible, you know, with computers and technology. Listening to Angela and Andrea, we realize that it's not so much about inventing entirely new ways of relating to data or trying to create whole new systems, whole new server farms. Um, but rather it's about building on existing practice and finding ways to um, amplify and expand on really important work that's already happening um, and to find ways to ensure that more people have access to that. And um, Timmy really touches on this. But the objects that have moved out of uh, an African context have become a kind of diaspora. And in becoming a diaspora, they have acquired stories, histories, um, experiences. Um, they have been resignified, also by way of being put into glass vitrines in temperature controlled spaces, which is not how they were originally envisioned or used. Right. So um, the question of ownership is one like so so on the one hand when i think about ownership i'm thinking about um a certain kind of cultural authority that still resides with the communities from which these artifacts come from um and this cultural authority is about a worldview like their cosmology their worldview their way of thinking about uh um, what it means to be human, the relationship with the more than human world, um, their spiritual practices, and so on. And I think it's important to maintain that sense of um, a cultural, I don't like the word agency so much because of the way it's used in different contexts, but this kind of a sense of cultural authority that continues to belong to the communities from which these objects come from. But then you have the objects then taking a forced migration of varying kinds. And then they become a diaspora and then they're doing other kinds of work in the cultural domain, both in physical museum spaces and then again when they're replicated um, and turned into digital form. This point of Temi's about um, the ways in which these objects and material heritage within museums in the global north have taken on whole new lives is such a valuable one in thinking about African data futures and what data restitution means for um, a future of kind of 
African digital heritage in a sense. Because I think sometimes we can feel like restitution of African heritage is in a sense a, a call on a, a reversal, going backwards to some idealized pre-colonial time. But I think what Temi's pointing to is the the realities of where we are now and how how we need to face the histories that we have kind of inherited together, the realities of what those histories have resulted in, but also the responsibilities and also the possibilities of what now needs to be created. And by doing so, we can really start to think about, okay, um, restitution has this capacity to potentially create something anew for the African continent and for the ethics of our relations with other parts of the world. And we need to begin framing what that should be and what, what we want that to be. And, and the digital, digital collections, digital restitution in particular, really call on us to think about why are we doing this? What are we trying to achieve? And what are the best models, the best infrastructures, the best strategies, the best practices for making that happen? So I think... After the last couple of episodes, we've really tried to explore that together and um, ask questions for ourselves and for anybody listening who's interested in the same about how to do this and what, what are the possibilities. And while a lot of it is quite challenging, I think there are some really exciting spaces and there are definitely people doing some really exciting work. Um, and while we've touched on a lot of subjects um, there are probably a few gaps, a few things that are still important to kind of touch on. Um, Chow, for you, what are the kind of key things? I mean, okay, there, there are many. We have talked about the idea of like a, a digital graveyard in which we are digitizing thousands, even hundreds of thousands of objects and artifacts and archives that just sit in servers and no one accesses them and no one knows where they are in five to 10 years. It's very interesting to see that we're talking about data, not just as a technical abstract concept, but as a social concept as well. And this brings about the questions on caring for data, caring for this digital data, mm, just important. as you would, um, I like the term a digital garden in itself. You know, you have to tend to it, you have to weed it, you have to water it. And so even when we create this data, from an African perspective in particular, we are saying that we are creating this data, we are planting the seeds, um, and we hope that this seeds, this data grows into something else, you know, that people use it for other things. And so this idea behind digital gardening really is a core point of data sustainability in the ways in which we're saying that this data that we are creating right now, we want it to be accessible 10 years from now. And so we have to put in the structures, whether it's funding structures, whether it's human resource capacity to not just create data or digitize data, but also take care of it. One of the things, as, as you mentioned now, child, that we haven't even really discussed is the absolute amount of energy that uh, collections in their in their physical form use in sort of temperature controlled storage rooms in museums mm. of the north, but um, how that is then replicated in in digital collections and how how these servers and these infrastructures that we've mentioned in and of themselves are major energy guzzlers and uh, all of these kinds of questions 
feed into this question of what is sustainable? Do do we mm. see these collections really being used in a digital form, as you as you've just asked in in say the next ten years, and in, and if so, in what way and what really makes sense? And I think that one of the things we've really just been emphasizing over and over again, and so many of our speakers have spoken mm. to is that there's this current rush to digitize thousands and thousands of objects in the global north. And what we're speaking to is what is what is the purpose of that? In what way does this create an ecosystem? In what ways is this really usable? And in what ways is this looking to mm-hmm. um, repair so much of the damage of the past or just replicate it? In what ways is it possible to then care for this data? Or are we simply, mm-hmm. as you say, creating more graveyards? And I think think we're kind mm-hmm. of emphasizing hey what what could be possible mm-hmm. if we took a little bit more time um were a little bit more careful asked ourselves the right questions and did this in the best possible way in the most ethical way and in a way that brings all of those different aspects of the ecosystem on board i think one of the things that we we have talked about as well is that digital restitution is a monster in its own <laughs> that there's so many questions um, and so many things that we need to consider. But at the same time, I say this with a very firm conviction that we shouldn't be shying away from these questions. We shouldn't be shying away from um, seeking answers and doing the work because if you're in a position where you feel that digital or digitization is the easy way out or is the easier route, you're probably not asking the right questions, you know. And what we've seen through the episode um, is that in as much as there are questions, there are ways of, of really coming and creating solutions for them. You know, Malema, when you say that, a lot of the work rests on African shoulders. It is very true. At the same time, we're saying that even digital restitution in itself is not a substitute for physical restitution. Um, how do we make it so that digital restitution, digitization is aiding in this work that African practitioners have to do within the restitution process? Uh, They're not separate um, in the sense that digital restitution is not um, a solution or is not something that we say, okay, since we've digitally restituted, we don't need the physical stuff anymore. What we're saying is that digital restitution is aiding the process of physical restitution and should aid in the ways in which um, it can allow for reconnecting to objects, it can allow for dialogue, it can allow for knowledge production, it can allow for questioning as well. Um, And this work that we are doing as African practitioners in setting a stage for this digital work to happen as it aligns to our humanities and our context and our histories, as well as our futures, is extremely, extremely crucial. Ciao drops the mic. I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. Uh, Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us on this journey of questions. Um, This has been Access for Who, a podcast by uh, myself, Mule Momwela, and ciao Tayana Maina. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. For who and for what? Goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by Open Restitution Africa, a collaboration between African Digital Heritage and Andani Africa.
The podcast is produced by Chao Tayana Maina and Mulemo Mwilwa with Pumzile Nombo Sotwala and Letabolaka Gumede on research. Thank you to Josh Chiundiza for the music, Karugu Maina on design, and Annalene van Heimbeek on editing. The podcast was made possible by 99 Questions at the Stifton Humboldt Forum in Berliner Schloss. This podcast is also available in zine form in French and German at www.openinstitution.africa and www.humboldtforum.org. Thank you for joining us.